Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number two in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday, February the 14th. First, I talk to Ada Zhao, the Chief Strategy Officer for Platon, the pioneering global privacy-preserving computer network. Located in Hangzhou, Innova City is envisaged to be China's largest blockchain-powered smart city project, with an estimated 90,000 citizens expected to occupy the city by its completion in 2025. Platon's blockchain solution will also be used to monitor driving behavioural data to train auto-driving systems, as well as to record and monitor electric vehicle life cycles in order to manage ecological waste efficiently, among other use cases. And then I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver, looking at the reporting season and what's happening in the market. But now, let's talk to Ada Xiao. Okay. Well, Ada, tell us about Wang Xiao's smart city project in Hangzhou. Uh, when will it be set up and what will it offer? Okay, uh, so I will just give like a very brief introduction of what Wanshan does. Wanshan is the biggest automotive component manufacturer in China, and it has been looking into and investing very heavily in electric vehicle as well as sustainable energy for many years. They announced the Innova Smart City project back in 2015, and it is aimed to be completed by 2025. And Wanshan has pledged to invest 29 billion US dollars into it to support some the um, technological and infrastructure de- developments. And I believe that this will become one of the um, the biggest blockchain-empowered industrial-grade smart city project in the world once it's completed. And Innova City will be featuring Wanshan's advanced manufacturing facilities for um, renewable energy and electric vehicles. And it will have 90,000 residents who will be working and living there once it's completed. So um, Platon is absolutely very thrilled and excited to be part of it. So what will it actually offer the residents? I mean, what can they experience? Mm -hmm. Right. So basically, the Innova City will be using Platon's privacy on blockchain solution, and they will be using that to manage and secure critical information and data from the residents and smart devices so that we can uh, also monitor, for example, like driving behavioral data, for example, like electric vehicle and their batteries to manage the ecological waste more efficiently. So basically, 
build a smart city that is greener, safer, and more efficient. Right, and it will be monitoring driver behavior? Uh, so basically, uh, we will be using you know, the uh, privacy-preserving um, decentralized blockchain network to monitor um, various data. But then in order to do that, we have to make sure that the data is encrypted and uh, that the personal data and the personal privacy will not be exposed in any way so that we can actually make good use of the data for you know the greater good and better collaboration and communication between devices and to train uh, you know, auto-driving, uh, the autopilot, auto-driving algorithms and, and any other IT, IoT-related algorithms that can basically make the life, living life on the smart city much easier and more efficient for its residents to enjoy. Do you expect other Chinese smart cities will follow on from this? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. I can't really speak for the other smart cities in China or outside of the world, but I would say that this is definitely a, uh, you know, a groundbreaking or is a very so like one of the first things that we're doing uh, because we realized that actually for many smart city projects out there, uh, one thing that's really of their concern is that they don't really have like a very uh, good uh, privacy-centric, uh, you know, decentralized data infrastructure, which we think should be the foundation of smart cities because, uh, you know, you need this uh, privacy-centric structure to facilitate secure data sharing and facilitate better collaboration to greater length. That is very crucial to making a city smart because as sometimes we would say, data is the new oil. Data is the new oil. That's a, that's a yeah. fascinating comment. <laughs> Yes. Right. Yeah, because data is everything, isn't it? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Absolutely. And I guess like in order to make the data, the, the new oil to flow, then we really need to make sure privacy is preserved. We we don't want to, you know, uh, make the convenience at anyone's uh, expense of their own privacy so that that would be the key to actually make data flow. That's our main focus of Platon as a project. So how long have you been working on this technology for? Right. So basically for Platon, uh we have been working on blockchain since like three years ago uh, in China, and we, are, we were serving many, you know, our Chinese client, clients. And then playing on this project, this open source project was actually announced uh, in July last year in San Francisco. And, but then before that, actually, for more than a year and a half, we have been investing very heavily in cryptographic algorithms, for example, like homomorphic encryption, zero-knowledge proof, and um, you know, MPC-related um, technologies, those 
uh, cryptographic uh, algorithms, which can be proven mathematically to be very safe and sound, and there are plenty of paper out there to you know address that. And we, we are using those technologies combined with blockchain, a decentralized network, to achieve what we are uh, you know, trying to achieve to uh, preserve the privacy. That's quite an extensive uh, piece of work. I mean, how many do you have working for you at Platon? Right. So we have uh, a little over 100 employees right now uh, who are working on the Platon project. Right. Okay. And where is, where is Platon based? Uh, we have offices, basically. Uh, I wouldn't say all around the world, but uh, we have offices in Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and we have colleagues in Europe as well. And we, we, we will be establishing offices in Singapore and, you know, like other places as well because, you know, for blockchain, it's, uh, we need uh, contributions and, you know, from the community and from all over, uh, you know, who, basically everyone who's interested in this, yeah. Well, the other issue too with, uh, with, uh, with blockchain and, uh, is you need to expand because you need to actually recruit more talent, right. don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Basically, uh, so right now we already had our test net launched um, this January and we will have our main net launched uh, in Q3 this year. And after that, we definitely welcome more inquiries, questions and contribution from the community from all over the world. That's the spirit of blockchain and, you know, the open source. So that's definitely something that we'll be, uh, we'll be working on. Do you see uh, Platon moving into other sectors besides smart cities? Well, absolutely. Uh, that's a good question. So I guess in Platon, so basically our goal is to build, to leverage, you know, multi-party computation on a decentralized blockchain network and allowing, you know, uh, collaborative computation and a secure sharing of data. And our goal is to build a decentralized network that can facilitate safe and secure circulation of data. And that's not just limited to smart city. And that could be used to advance and accelerate industries and technologies. Uh, and we see, we actually see demands and, and use cases from verticals and industries such as finance, um, healthcare, IoT logistics, etc. Definitely, basically, it can be used. It is designed for industries applications that can benefit from secure data sharing in a decentralized network. So there's more a lot of imagination in that. Um, and we would say, for example, like finance and healthcare, those sectors who really value privacy and also with uh, you know a, a large number of data. Uh, those industries can definitely benefit from, you know, a very well-secured, privacy-preserving platform. Right. And, uh, of course, uh, those industries are worldwide, so that would allow Platon to expand worldwide, doesn't it? We, we would love to expand worldwide, definitely. Right. Okay. Okay. So ha are you actually talking with uh, other companies overseas about your technology? Uh I guess like that's something that we're, we're definitely working on and we will be working on uh, expanding more in the future. But I, I guess like right now, we can't, I can't really say for sure or <clears throat> announce anything that was not, you know, at my liberty to announce at this point. But I guess you definitely you can expect more sort of partnerships in the future. Right. And uh, that, that would be wonderful. And it would actually bring the world a lot closer to China, wouldn't it? And uh, Chinese technology. <laughs> yeah, but... Absolutely. We would love for you know, the world to get to know more about China, what we're doing, and the technology itself. Because uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Platon is an open source project, so that there is no boundary or it, there shouldn't be any boundary, basically. 
Right, okay, okay. And uh, that's all very exciting. And uh, so when do you expect uh, to start expanding worldwide? Oh, uh, we are definitely working on this right now. And uh, I guess like uh, uh, a very important milestone for us would be the Mainnet's launch, which will happen in Q3 this year. So just a couple of months down the road. And then around that time, we'll definitely be, you know, announcing more uh, of our project, uh, the progress and what we're doing and what we have achieved uh, by that time. And of course, the uh, smart city will be, uh, the whole world's focus will be very much on that because it will be so unusual. Right. It's definitely, I, w- I would say it's a very large scale, very bold project. And we are very excited to be, you know, part of it and working with uh, Wan Xiang on such a, you know, exciting project. And we'll definitely uh, keep, it's a long time project and it's a lot of investments and a lot of things need to be planned. Uh, so we'll keep everyone updated on the progress in, you know, going forward. Well, Ada, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. And now let's talk to AMP Capital Chief Economist, Shane Oliver. Well, okay. Well, Shane Oliver, what's your assessment of the profit reporting season so far? Well, it's very early days yet. Uh, We've only seen a handful of companies report, but so far it's been okay. There was a good result there from JB Hi-Fi. Problem is at this stage, it's such such so early in the numbers to, to sort of come to any firm conclusions. But at this stage, we look on track for profit growth of around 3% for this financial year, which is not too bad. Um, we get to see any of the major resources companies report, but they're, they're, they should see reasonably good numbers. Uh, non-bank industrial companies sort of okay. I think the laggards, of course, will be the financials, which uh, will see quite uh, soft profit results, particularly for the banks. But overall, I think if we get profit growth of around 3%, that should be supportive of the market. That's pretty good. Now, uh, so do you expect any sort of standouts? As always, there will be some standouts. I mean, JB Hi-Fi has been an example of that um, so far. Um, but I, I'm not really a stock picker, so I won't name <laughs> name other companies which uh, might stand out. But some sectors, I mean, one sector which probably will do particularly well is the health sector. that's uh, been doing well for a long time now, obviously riding on the back of the ageing population and increased demand for health services. But overall, I think a reasonably good good, uh, reporting season. Um, Trying to predict standouts can be a difficult task, but there are some companies, particularly in the health sector, which have a a long-term track record of surprising on the upside. Indeed, indeed, and uh, the uh, on the downside, I would imagine uh, the retail retail has been struggling. We've had a number already going to the wall. Some of the retailers, yes, will struggle. Uh, we're seeing a very difficult time for boutiques, for um, companies that uh, like department stores, uh, which you know are sort of lagged behind in terms of their shift to online. And of course, this is an environment where we've seen pretty weak. Uh, consumer demand for a whole bunch of reasons, but uh, not least of which is high underemployment, low wages growth, and it's certainly about the economic outlook. So all of those things, I think, will weigh on, re- on retailers. Right, right. And, of course, uh, we've also had the uh, the effect of the fires and the coronavirus, and uh, that seems to be affecting some companies now. It's true that uh, some companies will be severely affected by the fires and coronavirus, and, of course, um, that re- the bushfires really intensified late in uh, 
late in the reporting period, which relates to the last half of last year. So that was through that December period. Um, and obviously, coronavirus has come along in the last month. So what we'll really be looking at for here is what companies say about those two events and what sort of impact it's having. <clears throat> so it's, it's probably too early to see a big impact on the numbers, but I think that's really going to become apparent through this half year. But obviously, it'll be the outlook comments where that shows up. So the outlook comments will be the ones we should be focusing on very intensely. Yeah, I think the outlook comments are the the ones to watch here. Obviously, the uh, the numbers are worth keeping an eye on because it gives us a guide to the underlying performance of companies. Because don't forget, the bushfires and the coronavirus are sort of one offs. Um, but it, in terms of gauging the impact of those events, the, the outlook comments are the ones to watch. I think the coronavirus uh, comments probably won't tell us much more than the obvious that uh, demand for China will be severely affected by the shutdowns, travel bans, etc., flowing from the coronavirus out outbreak. So they won't necessarily tell us anything that we don't already know. Uh, the challenge for the share market and for share market investors is to gauge how long that disruptive impact will last for. If it's a month or two or even a quarter, then I think share markets will look through it, which seems to be the view that uh, investment markets are taking at the moment. That's why you've seen there's a relatively constrained response to the coronavirus outbreak so far. But if it looks like the disruption will go into the June quarter, i.e. beyond March into the June quarter, then I think uh, markets will be more severely affected. Uh, I mean, the reality with all of these things is that uh, shares should be traded on ongoing earnings or ongoing GDP, if you like, ongoing economic activity, not not uh, short-term disruption. So, But obviously, the longer the disruption goes on for, the more investors will fear that it'll have some sort of permanent or lasting impact um, so that's why it's it's very important to watch progress of the virus in China, um, particularly whether it's being brought under control or not, um, because that will give us some guidance as to when the uh, when China will start to return to work, and when the travel bans globally will start to be lifted. At this stage, it's uh, probably still too early. There are some signs. In some of the data that maybe the number of new cases is starting to slow down, but there's all sorts of uncertainties about the economic, about the uh, the case data and how reliable it is. Um, so at this stage, we're still waiting to get a better handle on that, even though there are those tentative signs. Um, but uh, obviously, a fair way to go on that story. Now, uh, I mean, in view of uh, the fires and the uh, the coronavirus, I mean, what's your take on the impact of the economy? Uh, there's going to be quite a substantial hit to the economy in the March quarter. Um, I think uh, it's fair to say that the economic data in Australia released for the latter part of 2019 wasn't too bad. We saw some reasonable jobs figures retailing through the December quarter was a little bit stronger in real terms than had been the case for the last 18 months. Um, housing building approvals look like they're bottoming out, uh, trade surplus remaining very strong. So that sort of, I, I guess, gives a little bit of hope. The problem is that that data is all very dated now. The bushfires started to intensify over the Christmas New Year period. That would have affected retailing through January, I would think. And of course, the coronavirus has come along more recently and that's going to have a big impact on our exports 
particularly in terms of uh, resources, uh, where we're likely to see um, delayed demand coming out of China as the Chinese sort of renege on contracts, uh, calling force majeure. We've seen a bit of that already in relation to some contracts, copper, I think. Um, we'll obviously see an impact on tourist numbers, um, uh, something like 20% of our tourist export earnings for Australia come from China, from Chinese tourists, and that's 0.2% of our GDP. And the longer it goes on, the bigger the impact will be on the education sector as well, where roughly 0.6% of our GDP comes from Chinese students. So at the very least, you'll see, I think, quite a significant impact on the March quarter probably enough to take the economy backwards through the quarter uh, when you allow for the bushfires as well. Are you, are you saying there'll be a negative quarter? It's probable we'll see a negative quarter. Not for sure. <clears throat> We're still only halfway through the quarter, but uh, the way things are panning out, it looks like we'll see a negative quarter. Now, of course, one shouldn't get too alarmed at that. We have seen three negative quarters over the last 20-odd years and yet uh, the, the subsequent quarters saw a rebound. Uh, and most notable was Cyclone Yazi, I think, back in 2011, I think when the banana crop was wiped out. Um, terrible event, but the economy rebounded in the subsequent quarter. And, of course, That's with the, the rebuilding uh, going on, uh, you're going to have uh, impact on the economy positively. That's right. Uh, we will have rebuilding associated with the bushfires. Presumably that will get underway through the June quarter as people get their insurance checks and start to rebuild. Um, and then, of course, uh, um, there'll be some bounce back from coronavirus as eventually tourists start to return. Um, demand for resources picks up to normal levels again and uh, the impact on education is reversed or well, not quite as severe. So history of these things is that you do get a bounce back. That, that's what we saw after SARS. That's what we see after all natural disasters. The question is how quick that bounce back comes through and whether there's any lasting damage. I suspect in terms of tourist numbers, there could be some lasting damage, particularly from the bushfires as people delay their holidays, their travel to Australia. So that, I think, will result in economic growth being weaker than the Reserve Bank's allowing for. We're seeing growth this year of around 2%. Uh, whereas the Reserve Bank's talking about growth being 2.75%. We, we think they're just being a bit too optimistic, even though we agree in the broad pattern that you get a hit in the March quarter, then some rebound. We just don't see that rebound as being enough to, uh, to, to get growth up towards that 3% level. And the uh, $64 question is, what does that mean for the government's uh, projected surplus? Well, the surplus is going to be under a lot of pressure here. If uh, I mean, just to put simply, in the last... Um, a few weeks, we've seen the iron ore price fall from in the mid-90s to around 80 US cents. That uh, that reduction obviously will hit government revenue the longer it's sustained. Um, to some degree, maybe they're already factoring that in, but that reduction in the iron ore price is indicative of, of an impact on the Chinese economy from the coronavirus, which will impact demand for our resources. So consequently, I, I suspect, you know, the... Uh, the bushfires were already threatening the surplus. Um, the coronavirus probably <laughs> just adds to that threat and the likelihood of seeing a surplus this year, I think, is now is now less than 50%. Not a major problem because we will still have got close back... back to, we'll still be around balance. Um, so I don't see it as a major problem. And I do, do agree that it's more important to focus on the economy 
uh, rather than the surplus. You know, when the economy is weak, you know, that's the time when the automatic stabiliser should kick in and the budget should be allowed to uh, to, to sort of uh, weaken, I guess, you know, shift away from surplus towards deficit. I think the big issue is whether the government will provide some stimulus in the May budget. I think it should. I think we're overly reliant on monetary policy. Uh, there's only so much that lower interest rates, potentially quantitative easing, can do. A better way to help the economy would be a, would be via direct government action in terms of fiscal stimulus. And But that I mean tax cuts, bringing forward some of the tax cuts, um, breaks for more companies to invest, particularly large companies, and also looking at things like increasing new start uh, to just put more money into the economy. So I think that's probably the big thing to watch going into the May budget. If we get a bit of that, then it might take a bit of pressure off the Reserve Bank. Well, Shane Oliver, thank you very much for your time. That's very informative. Thank you. My pleasure, Liam. Have a great uh, day. So what's happening in the news? Well, first, Australian companies are being increasingly caught in the fallout from the coronavirus outbreak as a ban on Chinese tourists curbs demand in Australia and manufacturing shutdowns across China hits supply chains. Vitamins Group Blackmores went into trading halt on the ASX as uncertainty arises over the impact of the coronavirus on its China and Australian business, while electronics retailer JB Hi-Fi says it will use its market clout to ensure it has first access to electronic goods and mobile phones if Chinese manufacturers started to be squeezed. Horizon's chief executive, Andrew Harding, warned that the coronavirus would delay the arrival of 66 rail wagons being made in Wuhan. China after the Chinese manufacturer declared force majeure, invoking a clause in the contract over unavoidable delays outside of its controls. And some Australian building contractors are starting to warn clients of potential project delays where China is a source of materials being used in local projects. And former Bank of Australia board member Bob Gregory told the Sydney Morning Herald that the promised surplus, a key part of a coalition's election campaign, relied on a string of good luck So if the coronavirus did not get them this year, something else would in the near future, namely lack of wage inflation. Finance Department figures show the budget is $1.1 billion behind expectations, and the Reserve Bank predicted the bushfires would hit economic growth by 0.2 percentage points through December and March quarters, while Deloitte Access Economics estimated the coronavirus would cut $1.8 billion from budget revenue this financial year. And low rates had been feeding into the housing sector, The Australian Bureau of Statistics reports a 4.4% lift in home loans through December. The 4.4% increase, excluding refinancing of existing loans, was the biggest monthly gain since the 4.9% increase seen in September 2016 and lifted December's total to $19.6 billion. The ABS says loan loans for owner-occupiers are up 22.8% since May. The number of loan commitments to owner-occupier first-home buyers rose 6.2% in December, following subdued first-home buyer activity over the prior three months. December's rise was the second strongest of 2019, with owner-occupier first-home buyer commitments up 21.3% on December 2018. And National Australia Bank's monthly business survey showed that business conditions were unchanged in January at three points, the same reading as December. The employment index declined three points to one point, from four points in December, and the Trading Conditions Index edged one point lower to five points. Profitability rose one point in the month from a reading of two points in December. All three subcomponents are now below average, according to the survey. Business confidence improved slightly 
to minus 1 index points from minus 2 points, following two consecutive declines. And the restaurant business of former MasterChef judge George Calambaris has been put into administration only months after being rocked by a staff underpayment scandal, with almost all venues to cease trading immediately. A statement from Quartermentham said the company had been appointed voluntary administration of 22 companies in the Maid Establishment Group. The appointment excludes the Yochi operations, which will continue to trade as usual, the statement said. All other venues have stopped trading immediately. Employees have been paid all outstanding wages and superannuation up to the date of the appointment. In a statement posted to Instagram, Mr Calambaras said the decision was made with deep sadness and regret and thanked his team for their loyalty and friendship. On a personal note, the last few months have been the most challenging I've ever faced, he said. I'm so sorry all our collective efforts have not proved to be enough. I'm gutted that it's come to this. Maid, founded by Mr Calambaras, operates 12 restaurants and food venues in Melbourne. The Cordmintha statement said the appointment of administrators followed declining trade across venues since the announcement of an enforceable undertaking with the Fair Work Ombudsman after the self-disclosure of underpayments at the group's press club, Ghazi, and the Hellenic Republic restaurants up to 2017. An Australian Chamber of Tourism chairman, John Hart, says the Chinese tourism market, which contributes $711 million a week on average to the economy, has effectively come to a dead stop after the coronavirus outbreak prompted the government to shut its borders. Mr Hart said the loss of a Chinese market was a double blow after a horror bushfire season that had impacted on international tourism as imagines of the inferno were broadcast across the world. It comes after the chief medical officer raised concerns on Tuesday about xenophobia and racial profiling in Australia as a result of the outbreak. And Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese both urged Australians to stand up and speak out against racism after restaurants and shops run by Chinese Australians reported a reduction in customers over recent weeks. The Prime Minister said Parliament stands as one on the issue of supporting the Chinese Australian community. And Shine Lawyers is investigating a class action against embattled wealth manager AMP, alleging it breached its fiduciary duty to an estimated 100,000 customers and ripped them off by selling in-house insurance policies with high premiums. The plaintiff law firm has confirmed it will imminently file a lawsuit in the Federal Court of Australia against AMP's life insurance arm and three of its financial advice subsidiaries, AMP Planning, Charter Financial Planning and Hillross. The class action is being bankrolled by London-based Woodsford Litigation Funding. And Horizon Chief Executive Michael Sheridan has been suspended with immediate effect as the company announces the establishment of an independent investigation after the Australian Federal Police are examining a cache of documents obtained by the Australian Financial Review in which lawyers repeatedly raise corruption concerns over a US $10.3 million, that's $15.4 million Aussie, payment made by ASX-listed Horizon Oil to an unknown shell company in Papua New Guinea. As shares in Horizon fell 30% on Monday following the revelations, the petroleum company said it would conduct an independent investigation into the matter. In the same documents, the lawyers warned about illicit payments and of the US Department, Justice Department or Securities Exchange Commission being likely to investigate if a transaction was ever examined by regulators. The Federal Police confirmed they'd received the Horizon documents and said the information is being accessed at the current time. The AFP takes all allegations of foreign bribery offences by Australian entities and citizens seriously and is committed to combating this insidious crime type, the statement said. 
And the profit reporting season continues. Commonwealth Bank has beaten expectations after reporting a 4.3% fall in cash profits in continuing operations to $44.47 billion against expectations of $4.3.4 billion. Blackmores reported first half statutory net profit after tax of $18.3 million from $34.3 million a year ago. Revenue reaching $309.2 million was down 5% on a year ago. Evolution Mining's statutory net profit after tax came in at a record $147.2 million for the first first six months of the year, while underlying net profit after tax was also a record $149.1 million. Aurora's statutory net profit after tax fell 13.3% to $76.6 million from the prior corresponding period, while earnings before interest and tax slid 4.1% to $133.1 million. Downer's earnings before interest and tax fell 23.8% to $180.4 million from prior corresponding period, while net statutory net profit after tax fell 35.4% to $91.4 million. Auto parts supplier Dap Babcor has reported an adjusted net profit up 5.1% to $45.3 million on sales, up 10.4% to $702.5 million. Global Study Abroad Facilitator IDP Education reported EBITDA of $106.2 million for the first half year, ended December 31, up 59% on the same period last year, and net profit of $57.7 million, which is 42% higher year on year. Charter Hall Social Infrastructure, REIT, reported statutory profit of $49 million, up 16.1% compared to a year ago. ComputerShare is forecasting a stronger second half result after earnings before interest and tax fell by US $24.2 million, that's $36.1 million Aussie, in the first half of the year. Insurance Australia Group has reported a 43.4% fall in its net profit, leading to a cut in its interim dividend. The group's net profit attributable to shareholders of the parent fell $283 million for the first six months of the year, down from, 500, down from $500 million in the prior corresponding period. Mineral Resources said that statutory net profits surged to $884 million from $13.1 million a year ago in the six months to the end of December. New Zealand broadcaster Sky Network has reported a half-year net profit of New Zealand $11.9 million on revenue down 5% to New Zealand $385 million for the half-year ending December 31, 2019. MBN has posted a six-month loss of $2.14 billion, a 25% deterioration on the corresponding period last year. Dual-listed Contact Energy reported a 40% fall in profit from continuing operations and a 79% fall in statutory profit to New Zealand $59 million during what is described as a period of natural gas scarcity and rising thermal costs. Horizon's interim net profit rose 51% to $343 million, boosted by asset sales, but the rail group has cut its full-year coal haulage for forecast. Coal volumes were lower than expected in the six months into December 31, running flat at 106 million tonnes because of a 3% drop in Queensland volumes, which Horizon attributed to customer-specific maintenance and production issues. GPT Group reported a full-year net profit after tax of $880 million, down 39.4% from a year ago. Revenue and other income fell 27.1% to $1.37 billion. Charter Hall Long Whale Real Estate Investment Trust has delivered an 8.5% increase in operating earnings to $52.2 million and pushed out its average lease expiry. Platform's business premium has reported a half-year net profit of $1.4 million on revenue and other income of $24.2 million for the half-year period ending December 31, 2019. The profit and revenue were up 122% and 5% on the prior corresponding period, respectively. JB Hi-Fi has upped its full-year guidance after delivering a better-than-expected 6.5% increase in net profit to $170.6 million in the six months of December 31. 
Strong sales of phones, audio equipment, and internet connecting appliances, particularly over Black Friday, offset weak demands for music CDs and movie DVDs. The result, which was helped by lower rent and administration costs, exceeded consensus forecasts of around $166.5 million. Earnings by JB Hi-Fi's Australian business rose 6.5% and profits of the good guys rose 14.7%, offsetting a 2.5% slide in profits in New Zealand. Goldmine and Northern Star reported net profit of $126.8 million for the first six months of the year, with cash flow from operating office activities up 276% to $297.5 million on the prior corresponding period. Challenger reported a normalised net profit after tax down 4% to $191 million for the half year to December 31, 2019. Suncor Group has reported a fall in its underlying profit during the first half of the financial year, with cash earnings down 11.6% on the previous year, while group net profit after tax rose 156.8% compared with the previous year, excluding the $293 million sales of Capital Smart and ACM Parts. The company's profit after tax from ongoing functions declined 6.2%. Macquarie Group has maintained its full-year guidance for 2020 financial year with a mixed performance across its businesses during the third quarter. The company stuck with its forecast that it expected the group's result for the 2020 financial year to be slightly down on 2019. Transurban reported an increase in underlying earnings on higher toll revenues, but a fall in net profit. The company said statutory EBITDA, excluding significant items, was $1.107 billion in the half year to December 31, up 12.2% on the previous first half. Proportion EBITDA, excluding significant items, was $1.094 billion for the period, up 9.5%. Proportionate toll revenue was 8.6% over the six months to $1.396 billion, with average daily traffic increasing 2.3%. But statutory net profit, excluding significant items, was $169 million. 25% down on the prior corresponding period. Beach Energy has downgraded its production guidance after a weaker first half of the year, which saw revenue and profit decline compared with the prior corresponding period. Revenue from ordinary activities decreased 10% to $948.3 million, while underlying net profit after tax dipped 2% to $273.5 million. Cochlear downgraded its fiscal year 2020 earnings guidance, citing the coronavirus. Cochlear Limited reduced the guidance outlook for FY20 from 290 to 300 million to 270 to 290 million. It made the downgrade due to an expected impact from the novel coronavirus in Greater China. Hospitals across Greater China, including Hong Kong and Taiwan, are deferring surgeries, including cochlear implants, to limit the risk of infection for coronavirus, the firm said. Aventus Group said full-year growth in earnings will be at the top of the guidance range after reporting a 12% rise in funds from operation. The owner of Big Box Retail Properties reported funds for operations of $53 million, up $47 million at the same time last year. IT services company DWS reported revenue of $83 million and underlying EBITDA of $12.3 million for the first half of the year into December 31. Both revenue and profit were largely flat compared to a year ago. Buy now, pay later provider OpenPay said it expects to report a loss before tax in a range of $35 million to $40 million for the 2020 financial year. Fresh Food Industries reported a 15% increase in net profit to $1.8 million. EdTech small cap Janison Education reported revenue of $11.4 million for the half year to December 31, up 14% on the previous first half. Megaport has reported a $19 million loss in the first six months of the financial year, 14.4% more than its loss in the prior corresponding period, despite a 70.3% increase in the company's revenue. 
Amcor's adjusted earnings before interest tax rose 4.4% in constant currency terms to US $699 million, that's $1.04 billion Aussie, from the prior corresponding period, while adjusted net income rose 10.3% to US $473 million, $704.5 million Aussie. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Sydney Thomas, who came here with the Geek Girl Academy as an expert in residence working with women startup founders. And I'll be talking to Comsec Chief Economist Craig James about what's happening in the market the following week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBizBZ, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wish you all a terrific week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 